read about a girl from the Midwest that was on a trip to Hollywood, California, and decided to get an ice cream cone, and, and she, she bumped into Paul Newman uh, while she was getting the ice cream, ice cream cone at the, at the counter. And uh, he was just so gorgeous, you know, so uh, handsome. Uh, she couldn't believe it. She tried so hard not to stare. She tried so hard to, to be cool. So she paid for her ice cream cone and casually walked out of the ice cream store. When she got outside, she took a deep breath and realized that she had walked out having forgotten her ice cream cone. Already feeling like, like a ditch, she decided to wait outside till Mr. Paul Newman left the counter. And she saw him move away. She went back in to get her ice cream cone. And as she got to the counter, she felt this tap on her shoulder. She turned, and it was Paul Newman. He flashed that beautiful smile at her and looked at her with those bright blue eyes. And he said, Miss, um, if you're looking for your ice cream cone, you put it in your purse. <laughs> you, ever, you ever done something like that? In the presence of someone truly glorious, you get so self-conscious that you just do stupid stuff like walk into a pole or put your ice cream cone in your purse or you drive through every red stoplight because you're thinking about your girlfriend, Susan, sitting next to you. Like, anyway. Imagine if it wasn't just Susan or imagine if it wasn't just Paul Newman. Imagine if it was God incarnate. Remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain and was transfigured before them on the seventh day? His face shone like the sun. All at once, he's standing there speaking to Moses and Elijah. Remember what Peter did? It was worse than putting your ice cream cone in your purse. He invented religion, human religion. He judged this situation, exclaiming, this is good. And then he said, ooh, 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 should I build three tabernacles, three temples, three uh, containers for all of this glory? Maybe we could start a 501c3 nonprofit organization, print posters, pass out flyers, while he was still speaking. A bright cloud appeared over his head, and a voice boomed, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, shut up, Peter. Stop. Shabbat. Just stop. Don't just do something. Sit there. This seems to be a perpetual problem for God. He shows up and people just, they freak out. They put their ice cream cones in their purses. They start denominations or they just go up in smoke. Second Thessalonians, Paul talks about people being destroyed by the epiphany of his paras parousia, the manifestation of his coming. Paul himself, the Pharisee of Pharisees, was destroyed by the manifestation of Christ appearing on the road to Damascus. I think that's why he wrote, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You remember that Jesus' good buddy John, he dropped like a dead man when Jesus appeared at the start of the revelation. Isaiah, he cried out in horror, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Remember the Lord of hosts? The Lord went for a walk in 
the garden of paradise in the cool of the day, calling out to the man and the woman, where are you? And they were hiding in terror. At the presence of perfect love, they hid in the trees, dressed in fig leaf bikinis, and they began to lie to God and then lie to each other and lie to, to themselves. I, I've always wondered what would have happened if they hadn't have just done something and only sat there. Blaise Pascal wrote, all evil stems from this. Men do not know how to handle solitude. We have such a hard time just sitting there in the presence of God. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a child quieted at its mother's breast, like a child that is quieted is my soul. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. For a long time, that's been one of my favorite, favorite psalms. If you want to memorize a whole chapter of Scripture, Psalm 131 is a great place to start. Not only because it's short, but because it's, it's just helpful. David prays, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. What was too great and too marvelous for King David? How about his job? I can't handle being the pastor of a small church with a little staff. Imagine if you were King David. Imagine all the expectations and the knowledge that you could never please everyone and would always be hated by someone. The distance between everyone's expectations and your scared little self, well, that would be hard to handle that distance. Maybe it was others' expectations. Maybe it was his own expectations. After all, he was the Messiah. You do know that Messiah means the anointed one, right? David was the anointed one. It probably felt like that right after he slayed Goliath. But that must have been a rather troubling thought while he was hiding from King Saul in the cave of Adullam. Or the morning after he slept with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. Or the day he learned that his own son, Absalom, had raped all of his wives on the roof of the palace in the city of Jerusalem so that all of Israel could see. Maybe it was others' expectations. Maybe it was his own expectations or maybe God's expectations. Maybe the thing too great and too marvelous for him was God. How could he be with God and not be utterly consumed? Remember Uzzah? He occupied himself with things too great and too marvelous for him, and God smote him. <laughs> he touched the ark, and God smote him. 
While they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the judgment seat of God into the city, the cart hit a bump, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the Ark, and God smote him. Uzzah tried to judge the judgment. Uzzah tried to save the Savior, and the Savior smote him. Duh! God is salvation, right? That's the name Jesus means that. God is salvation, and God is love, and he smote Uzzah. And David witnessed it. Things too great and too marvelous for me. You know, the word translated marvelous is usually associated with God's hesed. That's his relentless love. It's the consuming fire that smote Uzzah. God, God had to have been a, more than just a little overwhelming for David. How could he deal with the distance between himself and his own knowledge of God? His knowledge of good and not good. <laughs> his own evil. At least a little, I think I often feel like David. I mean, I think pretty much every week I pray something like this. Holy crap, Lord. How could you ever expect me to speak one word about you? Psalm 131. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. You know, that soul is that, the soul is that thing that God made when he breathed into the Adama, the dust. It's you. I have calmed, shiva in Hebrew, my soul, writes David. The word shiva means to level, to not exalt, to make the same. So Young's literal translation reads like this, I have not compared my soul. Comparing your soul is what's most unsettling, isn't it? You compare it to your knowledge of good and evil, the law. You compare it to other people. You compare it to, to God. You judge yourself and try to justify yourself, and that's why you make fig leaf bikinis and, and hide in, in laws and works of the flesh and religion. You hide the fact that you're not right, and you're trying to make yourself right, but you can't seem to make yourself right. That's why your soul is unsettled, and that's why it won't stop chattering incessantly to itself over and over and over and over again in your own head. Rick Joyner, I don't know if you remember who, some of you remember who Rick Joyner is. He said he had an encounter with God. I think this was sometime back in the 90s. He describes it in his book, The Call. According to Joyner, the Lord appeared to him as wisdom incarnate. Overwhelmed by glory, he just cried out to God. He pled with God, saying this, Lord, I'm sorry, but your presence is so overwhelming. How do I keep from feeling so small when I'm close to you like this? And this is what he heard. You are small, but you must learn to abide in my presence without looking at yourself. You must not look at your inadequacy, but look to my adequacy. You must stop looking at your own unworthiness and look to my righteousness. When you are used, it is because of who I am, 
not who you are. You did feel my anger as you began to look at yourself. This is the anger I felt toward Moses when he started to complain about how inadequate he was. This false humility is actually a form of the pride that caused the fall of man. Adam and Eve began to feel inadequate and that they needed to be more than I had made them to be. They took it upon themselves to make themselves into who they should be. You can never make yourself into who you should be, but you must trust me to make you into who you should be. You know, the concept of heaven and hell, hell being Hades or Gehenna, the concept of heaven and hell really are pretty simple in Scripture. Heaven is enjoying the presence of God. Hell is hating the presence of God, such that you hide in outer darkness where men weep and gnash their teeth, and then when God appears, His very presence burns your ego like fire. Your ego is your fig leaf bikini. It's your flesh, your false self, the thing you think that you have constructed to protect you from the presence of God. Who is heaven? Psalm 131. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a child quieted at its mother's breast, like a child that is quieted is my soul. David is picturing himself as a, a little child held to the breast of God. <laughs> oh, that's like pretty present to God. And God pretty present to David right then and there, here and now, now, like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repent. That means change your mind. It's not somewhere else. It's right here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand as if in him we live and move and have our being as if God is always present. But Peter Hyatt is not always present. You know, it's pretty wild to think about, but Adam and Eve lost the garden trying to get what they already had, but didn't know that they had. They wanted the knowledge of the good to make themselves good so they could have the good, but God is the good who was already with them in the garden. And this is even more wild to think about, but the garden must exist in the sanctuary of the human soul, at least. Scripture makes it clear in a few places that little children don't yet have the knowledge of good and evil, but will get the knowledge of good and evil. They get the knowledge of good and evil from a tree in a garden, and that garden must be in their own soul, as well as the beginning of time and the end of time and at least a few other places in between. It's what we saw in Ecclesiastes and the Revelation. The tabernacle and the temple are the garden, remember? And we are then that garden, which means we each crucify Jesus on a tree in the garden of our own soul, and we are each exiled from the garden that is our true and deepest self. When Adam and Eve took the life of the good from the tree, they began to judge themselves with the knowledge of good and evil. 
if I judge myself, I cannot be the self that I'm judging. If I judge myself, I cannot be the self that I'm judging. I'm exiled from myself, my, my true self. So, of course, my soul is unsettled. God is always present, but I'm not present. I'm exiled from my own garden, and I am that I am who makes his home there in the garden of my soul. See, the distance is in my head. Repent means change your thinking. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your thinking. Jesus repents us. Jesus is the way. Uh, Jesus is the truth about me. Jesus is life eternal in me. From the tree in the garden, Jesus cries, Father, forgive, and it is finished. And he says to me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. He's the Messiah in David. David writes, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a child quieted at its mother's breast is my soul. David is imagining what's true. That's called faith. We can't understand everything that I just said but by God's grace, we can imagine what's true. So for years, I've imagined what's true, and I hope that you would do that too. God is my Father, and I am a little child of God, and in Him we live and move and have our being. So I've often pictured myself just sitting on His lap, held to His chest like a mother or father would hold a, a young child to, to, the, to their chest. I don't do anything. I just sit there. And, and yet, often as, as I do sit there, I, be, I begin to think. I think to myself, I don't deserve this. I didn't hold my children enough when they were little. I was too busy with my career, too occupied with me. Who am I, who am I to even, even imagine such a thing. I start, you see, I start comparing myself with my image of my good self, and then I have to remind myself, stop it, Peter. Stop comparing uh, your, your soul. No little child earns the love of their parents. Stop judging yourself and trying to justify yourself. Be quiet. Just be present in the presence of infinite love. At times I've imagined myself as a little child lying on my back in the bottom of a boat floating on a deep dark lake on top of a mountain under the stars. It's a very specific lake. It's Upper Cataract Lake in the Gore Range Wilderness area where I used to go backpacking as a, as a young man. Actually, I imagined my son Jonathan about three years old, lying in the back, lying on his back in, in the boat, floating there in his Superman underwear on top of that deep, dark lake, and I'm looking down at him from the perspective of deep heaven and billions of shining stars that decorate the night sky with the glory of eternity. I look down at him, and I just feel my love burn for him. 
And I think to myself, I would give all of this just to be with you. And then I picture myself in that very same boat, floating on that deep, dark water, and I think of God looking at me. I don't talk. I float in his presence. Lately, for the last few years, I've pictured myself sitting on a beach, a very specific beach. It's a beach that Susan and I have visited on vacation. It's a place where I have experienced rest and peace and communion and joy. I imagine myself sitting next to Jesus. He said he'd never leave me nor forsake me, so I'm imagining what's true. I sit next to him naked. He's not naked, but I am. It's not a sexual thing, and yet I think all sexuality points to this thing. I'm surrendering my shame. I'm sacrificing my fig leaves, my ego. You know, confession is not making excuses for the past or promises about the future. That's not surrendering the ego. That's exercising the ego, the flesh. Confession is just saying, here I am. But I don't have to say it. I just have to be it. I am it myself, my vulnerable, naked self. And here's the shocker. That's the self that he adores. The true self. Not the false self. He adores the self hidden beneath the fig leaves. It's shocking, but it's true. See, I think in, in those moments, my heart is saying, Jesus, I don't know how to create myself, redeem myself, save myself, and justify myself. I don't know how to clothe myself. I need you to clothe me with yourself, your righteousness. Often he grabs my head and holds it to his chest and I rest my mind in his embrace. I stop thinking. You see, I think that most of my thinking is processing my knowledge of good and evil in order to justify myself. But in the garden, I must surrender my knowledge of good and evil and see that I am justified by the good who has already given himself to me on the tree, from the tree. I must rest. I do not achieve rest with all my thinking, feeling, and doing. All my thinking, feeling, and doing must be the product of entering God's rest. So for Christians, the Sabbath doesn't come at the end of the work week. The Sabbath comes at the beginning of the work week. Every good deed is born of the living knowledge that it is finished and we are forgiven. Every good deed is the fruit of being known by love. We love, which is to fulfill the entire law, right? We love because he first loved us, wrote John. 
I've been reading a wonderful little book on contemplative prayer by Thomas Keating titled Open Heart, Open Mind. He suggests setting a timer for 20 minutes and then just sitting in the awareness of God's presence. I think the timer is so that you don't get occupied with time, but you just forget about time. He suggests centering your mind with a word like Jesus or mercy or grace or whatever word reminds you of, of who God is so that when, when you notice your mind spinning off on a string of thoughts, you can just say that word to center yourself back on the presence of God. If you have a problem, anxiety or thought that just won't stop, he suggests picturing yourself placing it in a little boat and then just pushing that boat out into the river that surrounds you, uh, out into the care of God, the river of life who surrounds you, the ocean of love that undergirds you. Sometimes Jesus and I load up like an entire armada of boats. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep coming. And I, I give all these thoughts to him. And then sometimes after I've sat there in his presence for a while, I let the thoughts, well, I let the thoughts just come as long as I'm thinking them with him or I sense that he's maybe kind of thinking them through me. I often pray in tongues. It's something that I started doing as a, as a kid at my friend Ricky's house. Ricky Turnquist, he said, hey, Pete, you want praying tongues? Pretty cool. And I said, sure, Ricky. So we knelt by the side of his bed. He, he prayed, and they said, okay, now, look, you just start talking to God like in another language. And I did. <laughs> and I have been for like 50 years. I questioned it for a long time, and, and I've always thought, I've always thought this is a rather ridiculous gift, God, especially compared to some of the other, you know, really cool ones. I don't even understand what I'm saying. When I was dating Susan in high school and college, and we'd be making out, you know, and I knew that I should stop, and I couldn't get myself to pray, God, would you please help us stop? I'd pray in tongues. In recent years, praying for folks struggling with demonic spirits, I've been amazed at how the devil just hates it when I pray in tongues. But I think most wonderful of all, it helps me just rest in the presence of God, knowing that I don't have to speak. Because God is speaking for me and through me. David writes, I have calmed and quieted my soul. See, that means no talking soul. Shut up, soul. No talking. But when I pray in tongues, I don't think my soul is talking. Instead, my spirit communes. My spirit communes with God's spirit. And the weird tongue thing, well, it just reminds me that it's always happening. Psalm 42, deep calls to deep. And the thunder of thy cataracts, all thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. Do you know that the Spirit of Jesus intercedes for you with sighs too deep for words? Whether you have the gift of tongues or not, he intercedes for you, and he does it from the garden of your soul. He prays, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If you want to pray in tongues, ask the Lord for the gift. And I don't know. I don't control these things, but maybe he'll, he'll give it to you. But no matter what, calm and quiet your soul like a child quieted at its mother's breast. That's the way the RSV translates verse 2. The ESV is probably a little more accurate, if perhaps a little less poetic. The ESV reads like this. I have calmed and quieted my soul 
like a weaned child with his mother. Weaned. That probably refers to a three-year-old that has stopped nursing. That was the customary time that a child was stopped nursing in those days. But it may refer to any child that's drank its fill and is now content. You see, that child, either one of those children, that child wants nothing from his or her mother but her presence. Our God is love, and love is the good. Our Lord is the truth, the wisdom, the beauty, and uh, the life. Well, like newborn infants, we naturally just try to suck the life out of everything around us. Have you ever held a hungry newborn? I once made the mistake of holding my newborn son without my shirt on. It was a bad experience for me and, and for him. I still remember the look on his face. He was like, what was that? Well, like newborn infants, we naturally try to suck the life out of everything around us. We see the good and we take the good. We suck the good out of life. We, we suck the life and the love out of anything we can get our hands on. We suck the life and the love to make ourselves lovely and alive. But, but when we mature, we don't suck life and life from things. We begin to rest in the presence of love and life himself, the presence of the good himself. When we mature, we don't take the life of love from a tree in a garden. We rest in the presence of the life who is love given to us on a tree in a garden. Let me be a little more blunt. Infants love women for their breasts. And I can totally relate to that. I've got nothing against breasts, but if you're only about breasts, you're missing the best part. You're an infant, and you suck. <laughs> or you suckle, you can use that word if you want. And that's okay for a time. But faith is not simply your ability to suck, or suck better than the, than the next guy. Mature faith is your ability to not suck. It's a prayer from a tree in a garden. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You know that's Psalm 31, Psalm of David. Well, there may have been moments in your life when it felt like every prayer was answered the moment you asked. You cried, you sucked, and the milk began to flow. There were certainly moments like that for St. Paul in his ministry. But maybe later you cried, you sucked, and there was no milk. Only a word. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, God is grace. And he is always present. And he is always giving you exactly what you need. Exactly when you need it. So what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Except you're a weenie. God is the weaner. 
and you're the weenie. So stop sucking and be content. Ask God for things, and if you don't immediately get those things, trust that he's given you the very best thing, which is himself and all things with him. You see, a weaned child has forgotten about his own needs, which is actually his greatest need, the need to die to himself and learn to enjoy the presence of another. It's the need to love and be loved, and God is love. You understand? It's your ego that sucks. It's your ego that compares. It's your ego that just won't shut up. It's your ego that regrets the past and worries about the future. It's your ego that's never satisfied, for your ego constantly seeks to justify itself and will not believe that it has been justified. It's your ego that always needs a problem because it believes that it is the solution. It's your ego that uses love to exalt itself. It's your ego that crucifies the Savior trying to save itself. It's your ego that sucks the life from love pretending to be godly. It's your ego that sucks. And it's Christ in you who is content. He's the Prince of Peace. Paul wrote, let the peace of Christ reign, rule, umpire in your heart. In the words of David, Psalm 131, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a child quieted at its mother's breast. Like a child that is quieted is my soul. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, forevermore. Olam, it means, it's also translated eternity. We think the presence of God is like a fleeting emotion. But it turns out that the presence of God is more substantial than all of space and time. And space and time, all of space and time is like a womb in which we are formed and prepared for the unmitigated presence of God. The Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Calvary, the Garden City at the end of the Revelation, and the garden in my heart all exist at the edge of space, time, and eternity. That place where eternity touches time. And so you see, I can go sit on the beach with Jesus. I can go float on the deep, dark lake under the stars and then sit in my Father's lap anytime I want. And when I do, this world, like, loses its grip on me. And I'm happy. Or maybe a better way to say it is, I begin to experience the happiness of God. You understand? God wants to be with you far more than you have ever, ever even imagined wanting to be with him. He doesn't need you in order to get things done. But he hung on a tree in your garden just to be with you and never, ever, ever leave you. Sometimes when we're sitting on the beach and he's holding my head against his chest, I feel this warm liquid on the side of my head. It's not milk. It's blood. It's <laughs> blood. 
from the, the wounds in his hands. And sometimes when I can't seem to calm and quiet my soul, when I just can't stop worrying and fretting and accusing myself, when I can't stop whining and crying out, I say, God, I suck. I suck as a pastor. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a lazy old man who keeps talking about you for because it's, it's too late for me to find some other career. God, help me. Help me. Help me. Sometimes I imagine what's already true. We go to the tree together and we die together. And then we begin to rise together in absolute peace and the deepest joy. Who's talking in Psalm 131? Is it David? Or is it Jesus in David? I have calmed and quieted my soul. The soul is the spirit of God in a temple of dust. Maybe David is Jesus' soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul, says the word of God. Maybe you are the bride of Christ. Oh, maybe you're the body of Christ. And Jesus calms and quiets his soul, our soul. So if you would, just close your eyes, and if you're watching it, online or whatever, close your eyes. Just close your eyes. And I want you to imagine what's true. You are in the presence of God. Every particle, every particle in your body, every subatomic particle, it exists solely because God observes it and constantly wills it into existence. Every heartbeat in your chest is a gift of infinite and eternal love. You are in the presence of God. Don't intend anything. Don't you dare promise anything. Don't say anything. Don't hide anything. He sees everything. Your deepest fear, your darkest regret, your most embarrassing sin. He sees absolutely everything. Don't do anything. 
just sit there. Now listen to his judgment. He's looking at you. And he says, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. This cup, it's the covenant in my blood, pour it out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it. Drink of it, all of you. Oh, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you, this communion of life in my body, my bride, my temple, my friends. And you're always standing in his love because in him we live and move and have our being and the garden is in your soul. Uh, right now, uh, if you want to talk with people, hang out and stuff, that's awesome. We invite you to do that down in the entryway. But if you'd like to just stay here and maybe sit in the garden, or as my wife puts it, wade in the river or wade into the ocean, um, we invite you to do that, to just stay here and uh, quietly sing or pray or sing loudly, whatever. You're welcome to come down front here. Members of the prayer team are down front here, and they'll pray with you if you ask them, okay? So if you don't want them to pray with you, that's great. Just sit there. Just sit in God's, sit in God's presence. And, and then when you do leave, whether you're leaving right now or leaving in a little bit, um, remember that you're walking out into a world that is confused <laughs> and deranged and full of people that are... Um, well, they're lost. And, uh, well, they get offended by the fact that maybe you're found, that you're happy, that you um, are at rest. And, and God will provide obstacles. <laughs> God will provide challenges. I, I'm just saying that as that happens, which is part of the design, remember that the garden is in your heart. And you can go there anytime you like. In fact, you can really live from there. Strive to enter his rest and live from that place. In Jesus' name, amen.